one year today since I started my YouTube channel. So I decided that we would visit the place where it all began. The place where I first created the Megalith Hunter brand in 2020 on Instagram. I'm talking about the tiny Mediterranean island of Gozo. I was on a staycation over there and having visited all of the main megalithic sites many times in the past, I wanted to see something different. So I started looking for megaliths that are documented but not signposted. After tripping over lots of vegetation and rocks, I found a dolmen, took a photograph of it and went back to the farmhouse I was renting for a few days. Because it had been quite the effort to find this dolmen, I thought the Instagram handle Megalith Hunter would be quite appropriate for these treks. I've always been interested in history, but really, really intrigued by the megalith builders. So my plan was to find lost sites, do the research I've always wanted to do, and solve some ancient mysteries at the same time. Easy. Since that day, I've gone on to create a YouTube channel, a Twitter handle, a Facebook page, and a Patreon account. I am now the megalith hunter. So let's go to Gozo called Aldesh in Maltese and to the village of Shara. I want to mainly discuss Shara because it's got a high concentration of Neolithic sites, including the UNESCO World Heritage Site of Gigantia. I already did a video on Gigantia some time ago, so I won't go into too much detail on it again, but there are plenty of other sites in that village too, which I've barely discussed. Also, there is some new research on the Neolithic period in Gozo, so we need to go over that as well. The village of Shara is located on a plateau around 140 meters above sea level, two kilometers from the gorgeous beach called Ramla Bay. A fun legend associated with the village is about the Calypso Cave. It's said that this is this place referred to in Homer's Odyssey, where the nymph Calypso kept Odysseus for seven years. In the Odyssey, it says she lived on the island of Ujija, which some classicists think, based on various descriptions of it in different texts from that period, was Gozo. I'm not sure how this particular cave got the reputation though, there are many caves. And of course we don't even know if the Odyssey was based on a historical account. But if it was, then it's possible this guy got stranded on Gozo. It's also possible, in my opinion, because I love a bit of wild speculation from time to time, that Calypso didn't so much as detain Odysseus as invite him to the island for some sort of initiation or education, which lasted seven years. A highly symbolic number. But anyway, let's go back to the Neolithic. There are six Neolithic sites in Chara. At an area called Tas Shruj, archaeologists found pottery sheds and the remains of buildings which date to both the early Neolithic as well as the Temple period. So it appears to have been the site of a domestic settlement inhabited at various times in prehistory. I don't have photographs of this site or even know the exact location. It's just mentioned in archaeological reports and a few newspaper articles and was probably reburied for its safekeeping. These early Neolithic sites don't tend to have anything particularly noticeable to passers-by anyway. It's the archaeological excavations that reveal information about the site. Not far from there, just across the valley that leads to the seaside town of Marsal Forn, in a street full of houses, there's an overgrown fenced-off garden with a structure in it called the Jebla Ta Sansuna. It's not marked on any maps and can't be accessed, but you can view it from the road. 
This is a protected site because of the possibility that it is a collapsed dolmen. However, it could just be a natural formation. No one is really certain about that. I don't believe it's been excavated. I took this photograph standing on a bench with my phone squeezed through the iron railings. I leaned so far forward, my mum thought I was going to fall. Being a megalith hunter isn't as easy as it looks. By the way, the name Jebla Tasansuna means Sansuna's stone. In local legend, she was a giantess who carried stones from this location to the site of Gigantia, a kilometre away, to build the megalithic temples. But keep in mind that there's no cultural continuity between the Neolithic period and modern-day Malta. So these legends are probably only a few hundred years old and were created to explain the remains of megalithic structures sticking out from the soil. They aren't based on some oral tradition going back thousands of years. There are two temple sites in Shara, Santa Verna and Gigantia. The former is nothing more than a few megalithic remains, but excavations a few years ago uncovered some remarkable features. The latter is much more intact and is a UNESCO World Heritage Site with a fully-fledged interpretation centre. Close to Gigantia, there are a few other scattered megaliths around a cave called the Arta Azu, in which temple period pottery sheds were found. The Shara stone circle sits about halfway between Santa Verna and Gigantia and very close to the Arta Azu cave. It consists of a hypogeum with the remains of a megalithic above-ground stone circle. It's not open to the public, unfortunately, but has been extensively excavated. Many finds from there are on display at the Gigantia Interpretation Centre. Intriguingly, in the 2009 monograph, Mortuary Customs in Prehistoric Malta, the authors suggest that the Arta Azu cave, which is actually part of a cave system, may link up to the Shara Stone Circle Hypogeum 120 metres to the west. However, this has never been proven. The same monograph refers to the diaries of the first Duke of Buckingham, which talk about another megalithic site in Shara that's never been found. The reports that discusses what we now call the Shara Stone Circle and Gigantia, and then refers to another circle made of cyclopean blocks further down the hill, which he said were on private property so couldn't be excavated. I really wonder if this is still there. So as you can see, Shara was a hugely important ritual site during the temple period, as well as being the site of earlier Neolithic domestic villages. In case you haven't seen my earlier videos, here's a quick overview of prehistoric phases in Malta. The Ardalan phase is the earliest, going back to around 8,000 years ago, and was characterised by an early Neolithic farming community. They didn't build megaliths, and there's not much evidence from that period or the subsequent scorba phase. It's limited to pottery sherds, some figurines, carbonized crops, animal bones, and the remains of mud brick huts. After this early Neolithic period, there's a gap in the archaeological record that's around 1,000 years long, during which time it's thought the islands were abandoned or the population was reduced so much it barely left any evidence behind. Archaeologists refer to this empty phase as the fifth millennium hiatus, after which new settlers arrived on the island, and it was these people who around 200 years later started building megalithic temples. What's fascinating is that in some places, 
these later people re-inhabited early Neolithic domestic settlements and then built temples on top of them. This opens up a whole set of questions. Were these people descended from the early Neolithic farmers so wanted to occupy the places that ancestors had left that ancestors had left behind? Did they simply settle in places that were well situated for access to water and fertile land, the same as their ancestors? Or was there something else going on that's not clear in the archaeological record? Excavations at Santa Verna Temple in Gozo by the Fraxis Project uncovered Ardalum and Scorba phase pottery, as well as the remains of Scorba phase huts. So it's likely that this was the site of an early Neolithic settlement, which the temple people then built their megalithic structures on top of. Tas Struge is one kilometre northwest of Santa Verna. Earlier excavations of that site also revealed Ardalum phase pottery, as well as the remains of huts. Pottery dating to the later temple period was also found. So it's possible this was a village first inhabited in the Ardalum phase and then settled again later in the Zebrush and Gigantia phases when the temples were in use. It's interesting because it makes me also wonder why some early Neolithic sites were resettled a thousand years later or more as domestic villages only, whereas others were turned into these huge megalithic sanctuaries. And then there are sites like Gigantia, which date only to the megalithic building period and weren't in use earlier. Little remains of the megaliths that once enclosed the site of the Shara stone circle. Old paintings and engravings from the late 19th and early 20th centuries depict a fuller circle with an entrance gap flanked by two orthostats. The roof covering the hypogeum in the middle of the enclosure collapsed during the Bronze Age, Unlike the House Sapieni Hypogeum on Malta, which was mostly an artificial construction, the Shara Stone Circle burial complex is made up of natural caves, which were then modified. It dates to the Tarshim phase, so a few hundred years later than the Santa Verna and Gigantia temples. However, there is also a rock-cut tomb there, which was originally dated to the Zebrush phase, the time when the Temple people first went to Malta, but before they started building megalithic structures. It was recently redated to the Gigantia phase, though, so contemporary with the nearby temples. That's important because we often think about these ritual landscapes as having certain kinds of alignments, but there are often hundreds of years or more between the construction of the various monuments, so a connection between them wasn't there for all of their history. Various megalithic remains and artefacts were excavated from the site, such as altars and large statues. This shell headdress was found on the burial of a woman. I think this set of figurines is my favourite display at the Gigantia Interpretation Centre. It's not certain what they were for. They could have been ritual offerings or part of a game, perhaps. 216,587 human bones were excavated from the Shara stone circle and were disarticulated, meaning they were all mixed together, so the number of burials was difficult to, to determine. 54 adults and 11 children were thought to have been buried in the earlier rock-cut tombs, with more than 800 in the Tarshin phase hypogeum. Based on what could be determined from osteological analysis, the population was fairly healthy for its time. However, it could be the people had experienced illnesses which don't leave a trace in the bones. The disarticulated nature of the remains may be because earlier bones were moved to other locations within the hypogeum to make 
way for new burials. Animal bones were also found inside the hypogeum, with the majority belonging to sheep, goats, cows, and pigs. It's thought these were associated with funerary feasts. The diet of the Tarshim-faced population was not easy to determine from the human remains, but overall, experts believe they relied on meat and dairy, with almost nothing derived from marine resources. This is something I've always found strange, well, since I got to know about it. Since Gozo is so small and the coastlines are so easily accessible, why didn't its Neolithic inhabitants eat more seafood? Also, catching seafood is far easier than rearing animals and finding enough resources on a small island to feed them. A paper published last year in the International Journal of Osteoarchaeology analysed periosteal lesions in bone fragments excavated from the hypogeum. It's thought these fragments belong to one child who died just before the site fell out of use. These lesions are indicative of scurvy, which could mean resources were becoming scarce at that time, and could also be the reason why the temple people eventually abandoned the islands. There is other evidence that environmental degradation led to the collapse of the temple culture. However, it could also be a rare, isolated incidence of scurvy. The Santa Verna Temple is named after a 13th and 14th century medieval chapel that was built on top of the site. It's around half a kilometre west of the Shara Stone Circle and about one kilometre west of the Gigantia Temples. All that remains of the monumental Neolithic edifice is a part of the concave facade typical of Maltese temples, including a stone bench, a large hole cut into one of the blocks, similar to the oracle hole at Hajraim, although this could just be from natural erosion, and some scattered megaliths. The most recent excavation was done a few years ago by the Fraxis Project, who published their finds in a monograph called Temple Places. Details are in the description below. The latest dates for the site show that it was built around 3800 BCE and started out with a tree foil layout. It was then expanded to become a five-apse layout, just the same as each of the Gigantia temples, and just like Gigantia, it faces southeast. During the excavation, archaeologists found an obsidian arrowhead and snail figurines embedded in the walls, so it's possible these were ritual deposits. Another strange feature they discovered was a short polygonal wall of small globigerina limestone blocks attached to the megalithic foundation of one of the apses. This had no structural function and wouldn't have been visible. Also, the rest of the temple is made of corridine limestone, which is locally available to that part of Gozo, a lot rougher. So the soft globigerina limestone must have been purposefully brought from somewhere else just to create these tiles. That means the polygonal wall must have been important. But why? It's impossible to say. Perhaps the Cyclopean walls in Greece and Italy were Neolithic rather than Bronze Age or Roman, and the temple people were paying homage to these ancestors with a small wall ritually buried for good luck upon the foundation of the temple. I'm only joking. There's zero evidence for that. But it's my anniversary special, so I can be as funny as I want. Gigantia has two temples, the South Temple with five apses, which is the earliest, and the North Temple with four apses and a niche. A wall of the South Temple was modified so that the North Temple could be tacked onto the side of it. 
both are oriented southeast, but if you look closely, you can see the North Temple's axis deviates slightly from that of the South Temple. There are researchers who think this has astronomical significance. The trilithon structures that would have once formed the entrances to the temples have long since collapsed. Gigantia sits on a terrace that's been artificially modified to create a flat surface. The Scorba temples were also built on a terrace modified in this way. Considering there are many flat locations where the temples could have been built, there must have been specific reasons why the ancients went to the effort to flatten an area rather than just erect the structures somewhere else. The most recent excavation by the Fraxis project found that Gigantia was built near a natural spring caused by a fault line. This is significant. From a practical point of view, it does make sense that the temples were located near water sources and fertile agricultural land. From a ritual point of view, water may have been relevant, just as it was to the later Bronze Age Sardinians who built holy wells, or the Romans who built Nymphaea, or many other ancient cultures. During one of the early excavations of the South Temple, a bowl containing a bull's horn seashells and pottery sheds was found under the threshold slab at the entrance. This was probably a ritual deposition, just like the snail figurines and obsidian arrowhead found in the walls at Santa Verna are thought to have been. Inside one of the apses of the South Temple, a betel was found, which is now in the interpretation centre. This was not a part of the structure, so it must have played a role in some kind of a ritual. A similar betil also stands in one of the apses at the main temple of Hajar-im. It's also in this temple that a megalith was found with the carving of a snake. As far as I know, this is the only serpentine carving in any of the Maltese temples. The tunnel-shaped holes typical of the Maltese temples are found in abundance at Gigantia. It's thought these were to hold some sort of screen or barrier made of material which has decomposed. Remnants of red ochre-covered building material have led archaeologists to conclude that some of Gigantia's walls were originally plastered and decorated. Red ochre is found throughout the ancient world in buildings and in tombs. It may have symbolised blood rather than being simply for decoration. As with other temples, stone spheres can be seen lying around at the front of Gigantia. These are thought to have been for rolling the megaliths into place. At Tarshin temples, one can be seen lying underneath a huge megalith, so this could be evidence for that. Old paintings and engravings of the site when it was first discovered show a ramp leading up to the forecourt from the sloping hill to the south and a trilithon entrance at the end of the ramp built into a megalithic wall. However, up until recently, there was no trace of this original entrance. The excavation by the Fraxis project revealed some megaliths to the south that may have been a part of this structure. These were dated to the Tarshim phase, so show they were added during a later remodeling of the site. How the temple people accessed the complex when they first built it isn't known. There are the usual libation holes at Gigantia, which may or may not have been used for pouring of ritual offerings. I personally don't think so. Apart from the snake carving, there isn't a lot of decoration in the Gigantia temples, not compared to Tarshim. 
However, there are pitted blocks, which is a common theme in the Neolithic monuments. In between Gigantia and the Arta Azu, there are some megaliths built into a farmer's rubble wall just near the exit. These probably belong to another temple or megalithic structure as well. So what was going on in ancient Shara? 5,000 years ago, within a couple of kilometers, there was a domestic village, two megalithic sites for the living, a megalithic site for the dead, a cave complex used in some way or another, and some other scattered megalithic structures. There could have been many more sites which have been lost or which have yet to be found. This plateau was clearly very important to the ancients. When I walk around there, I try to ignore all the modern buildings and imagine what it would have looked like in the late Neolithic. All the main monuments would have been visible from one another. A spring would have been bubbling up somewhere close to Gigantia. And I wonder how the activities at Shara were linked to whatever was taking place at the other temples found in other parts of the island. Let me know what you think in the comments. Don't forget to like this video and subscribe to the channel. I'm also on Patreon. Thank you to my patrons. I really appreciate the support. Also, come and find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where I post regularly. And take a look at my website for the GPS locations of the places I visit, some of which are very hard to find. Thank you.